Bobcat fans. Support both your favorite team and Montana State students. When you shop at the student and faculty-owned MSU Bookstore, your purchase lowers the price of course materials for Montana State students. Montana State is in the midst of a historic year, and the MSU Bookstore has everything you need, from jerseys to garments, t-shirts to sweatshirts. You can also find the vast selection of Bobcat gear online by visiting msubookstore.org. Help students excel and look your best in blue and gold. The MSU Bookstore is your Bobcat gear headquarters. One, two, three. is now on ESPN Radio. Uh, when you get done with your year, they tell you what song you listen to the most. 19-year-old me, that was it. <laughs> Are you surprised? Maybe you're not. If you've been following along for a while, maybe you're not. You know, I love, love me some smooth hip-hop. Love me some smooth R&B. I'm actually very surprised that Cassie wasn't more famous uh, for longer than just that song. Had a little P. Diddy track. Goes big time. And uh, then we really never heard from her again. I thought she had all the elements, but I don't know. What do I know? Hopefully a lot about sports. Welcome back. Nuana's now ESPN Radio, SWX Montana Television, and the ESPN MT app. Bottom of the ninth in Houston. Mariners clinging to a 7-5 to lead. This is like a total anomaly when you're looking right now at the box score. The Mariners have 13 hits. One of the funniest and craziest parts about sports to me is how you can have, especially pro sports, where the rosters just overturn all the time. The Mariners have had great pitching and great defenses for for what? For forever? For, tw- for since I was a kid, since tw- for 25 years. And they always have a lackluster offense. So when they get... St- 13 hits and score seven runs in the first playoff game. That's pretty good. But bottom of the ninth, uh, Mariners up 7-5. Stroh's at the plate. Uh, you got a runner on first and one out. So we'll uh, we'll keep you apprised of what's going on there. Jose Altuve at the dish for the Astros. How am I doing on my play-by-play, Jeff? <laughs> Stafford's a way better uh, baseball play-by-play guy than I could ever dream of being. But we'll keep you apprised of what's going on uh, in the Major League Baseball playoffs. Two more games tonight. The Guardians, formerly the uh, Cleveland Indians, take on the New York Yankees. Uh, If you're watching on TV or on the ESPN MT app, one of my prized possessions here uh, on your screen, it's a picture from the 1940s, a black and white that I had framed, of Bob Feller. Those that don't know the story of Bob Feller, Bob, Bob Feller paid the way. For guys like LeBron James, Bob Filler was one of the first high school phenoms, and he broke into the major leagues when he was still a teenager. And this was, you know, I mean, we're talking eight-plus decades ago. And, uh, I mean, he was a phenom before phenoms were such a, a in-vogue thing and definitely one of the great flamethrowers of all time, uh, a guy that pitched for... Uh, the Indians from 1936 to 1956. I finished his career with 266 wins, 2,581 strikeouts, an eight-time All-Star. Was on the Indians' second-to-last uh, World Series championship team in 1948. He also led Major League Baseball in strikeouts seven times, 1938 to 1941, and then 1946 to 1948 through three no-hitters and almost unanimous uh, electee to the uh, Baseball 
Hall of Fame. And uh, this is certainly one of my most valuable and uh, most cherished memorabilia items. So that should be an interesting series. The uh, Guardians, the champions of the Central. The Yankees were on an unbelievably torrid pace right out the gates and uh, still finished with 99 wins, but it was not nearly what maybe their projected win total would have been there uh, right around the All-Star break. The Dodgers, though, they made a serious run at it. They finished up with 111 wins, and they also play the first game of their series against the San Diego Padres. So the uh, Guardians and Yankees, that one starts 5.37 p.m. on TBS, and the Padres-Dodgers starts at 7.37 on uh, FS1. We'll talk some more baseball, uh, 5.30, probably bring in uh, Jeff and Andrew or a combination of both, or I don't know. I don't know how we're going to do it. We got all sorts of microphones, though, so we'll figure it out. <laughs> but either way, more baseball coming up. Also want to do a little uh, NFL football uh, conversation, maybe even a little blindside. Uh, so we'll bring Andrew in for that here in just a little while. But I, I got to give my two cents on this roughing the passer uh, controversy that's going on. Yesterday we saw uh, a controversial roughing the passer call in the Atlanta-Tampa Bay game where Grady Jarrett threw Tom Brady to the ground and it was called roughing. And then last night on Monday Night Football, Chris Jones had what I thought was a textbook sack strip uh, into what should have been a fumble for the uh, oh, the Las, Las Vegas Raiders. And uh, the Chiefs still ended up winning that game, but it certainly affected the end the end uh, point spread. I know not everybody, I know actually a lot of people out there that are watching the NFL following along are not gamblers, but the fact that the Chiefs only won by one point last night, an unbelievable amount of money changed hands. In fact, an unbelievable amount of money went to the house because guess what? There's no such thing as a one-point spread. I mean, maybe some books will have them, but traditionally there's no real sports book that's going to have a one-point spread. So one team winning by one, that basically means that no matter if you were on the Raiders or the Chiefs or whatever, nobody won. The house won. That's not what I'm getting at, though. There's all this talk about you know the toughness of quarterbacks and and the uh, protect or lack thereof and the protection of quarterbacks and all that stuff. But let's be clear about the why here in the NFL. The definitive reason why the National Football League is protecting quarterbacks and that the level of protection is disproportionate towards the biggest names in the game is it's it's like I always am telling you. Low-hanging fruit exists for a reason. That cliche, that term, is what the national media, particularly the national media that covers the National Football League, is force-feeding to you and me and everybody else that follows the National Football League. Most people don't know who uh, DeForest Buckner is. Most people don't know who Daniil Hunter is. Most people don't know who... I'm trying to think of other reputable guys. Regardless, I mean, Quentin Nelson. Most football fans don't think of Quentin Nelson as one of the best players in the NFL. He is. But you could give everybody that has any engagement in the NFL 
can at least have some sort of broad argument about the best quarterbacks in the league. The number, and I, I understand, quarterbacks are the absolute most important position in a quarterback-driven league in professional sports. I, I know all of the, the statements and emphasis on it. I get it. But the NFL has made these rules, and the, the officials are disproportionately enforcing these rules for one reason. The stories, the broadcast, the ratings. This is all about setting up primetime matchups between primetime quarterbacks because that is the most easily palatable storyline in the NFL for the common everyday fan to compartmentalize and to consume. It's bad business if you got Chad Henney versus Chase Daniels on Sunday Night Football. It's bad business if you got backup quarterbacks playing against each other. It's good business when you got Tom Brady versus Aaron Rodgers. It's good business when you have quarterbacks of repute that are headlining the matchups. And so I, I think that I think the NFL could have a way less disproportionate level of care for its players. Because let's make no mistake, the the player protection, the player well-being stuff. It only centers around protecting the players that sell the most tickets and draw the most eyeballs. They don't care about the starting strong safety for the Buffalo Bills. They don't care about the starting inside linebacker for the Baltimore Ravens. They care about the quarterbacks. I think the NFL, though, could help itself by telling the stories of the other players at a higher level. I know that, you know, let's say 50 million People watch football on Sundays on average. I don't know if that number is high, low, whatever. Let's just say 50 million people watch football on Saturdays. I get that probably 80% of those people, if not more, don't know and don't want to know the true nuances and intricacies and strategies and scheme that go into what is one of the most complex strategic games that we have as a society. I understand that. But... I do think that the stories of people will always resonate with people. So tell me the story of Fred Warner rather than telling me the story of Russell Wilson for the 9,000th time or the story of Andy Dalton for time number 10 million or the story of Tom Brady and his sweet potato fries and whatever the hell he's eating and all the ionized water he's drinking, whatever. I got it. We get it. You want to know why people don't appreciate Aaron Rodgers as much as they should and instead always just talk smack about him because he's overexposed. He's been given this unbelievable platform to just sit there and act like his arrogant, self-appreciating self. Okay, that's fine. Be more broad at the storytelling element. You could promote so many different guys in the National Football League. Like, give me the stories of the Browns' offensive line. And how they went from nothing to great. You know, give me the story of wh- why did the Raiders hang in the game last night against the Kansas City Chiefs, even though the Raiders were one and three going in the game last night, and now are one and four after their thirty to twenty nine loss. Why? Why did they hang in that game? It's not because Derek Carr played above his head. It's not because of Devontae Adams and Josh Jacobs. It's because of their line play. Their offensive line is great. They were blasting the Chiefs off the ball. Josh Jacobs. Looked like the second coming of Emmett Smith. He was awesome, but why is that? 
because the Raiders have their offensive line, which was one of the best in football several years ago, then got decimated by injuries. Now those guys are back. What did it take? How are they acclimating to a new offensive scheme? Where is Josh McDaniels in terms of rebuilding this offensive front? How are they putting these guys in a position to succeed? How is that such an advantage against the Chiefs who have a decent defensive front? I just think that there's so many stories that they leave on the table. And again, I understand that the general public isn't going to be able to pallet all of the intricacies of the details of the game. That's why you go, that's why you come here, that's why you go there, that's why you do all these different things. But I just think that they're leaving a lot of stories out there. And then they're analyzing ad nauseum the uh, the low-hanging fruit, which is the constant massaging uh, of the quarterbacks. And uh, I don't know. I just I think you just got to be better. You just got to be better. And I think that you could have less uh, what seems like bias protection of certain players in the NFL if you just did. You wouldn't have to worry about keeping the headliners as the headliners if you just had more headliners. I guess that's my thesis here. That's my that's my point. Make more headliners. There's more interesting stories in the NFL than just the guys that are taking the snaps and throwing the football. Nuanas Now, ESPN Radio, SWX Montana Television. Oh, man, I'm sitting here and I'm talking all about baseball and the Mariners and the the 13 hits. And uh, I just, I can't wait for this next commercial break to go on Twitter and see my Twitter timeline because we have a lot of Mariners people on the Twitter timeline because I know for sure the meltdown is about to ensue. (laughs) <laughs> Poor Seattle. They're down to two outs in the ninth inning, up 7-5 to five over the Houston Astros. Jose Altuve strikes out swinging, and uh, that brings up uh, – but they had a guy on first, and then they get a single, and then uh, walk-off fashion. Jordan Alvarez hits a three-run home run to walk off. Against the Seattle Mariners, Houston eight, Seattle seven. Oh man, <laughs> what a heartbreaker for the uh, Seattle Mariners. We're going to get back to some NFL, but um, Andrew, your instant reaction to Seattle blowing it—just uh, the the heartbreak never ends for the Mariners fans. Not even a three-one, a three-run walk-off bomb. That's bad enough. Mariners brought Robbie Ray out of the bullpen to pitch to Alvarez, who hit the home run there. So you bring your key free agent acquisition, your number one starter all season long in a big spot, left on left, and he gets got. I can't think of a more disheartening, uh, gut-punchy way to lose a game than that. But, hey, it's only game one, but you really, really needed to have that one. You got to Justin Verlander, who's the presumptive AL Cy Young Award winner. You were rolling, you were rolling up 7-3, going to the 8th, and Alex Bregman hits a two-run bomb in the 8th, and Jordan Alvarez hits a three-run bomb in the ninth. Hey, yikes. It hurts. Uh, one last question. We're going to come back to baseball here in a little while, but um, the Houston Astros sort of quietly had the second-best record in baseball. They won 106 games. Do you think that the cheating scandal still resonates to the point where they don't get as much 
coverage, or I guess there wasn't a lot of hype around this team, even though they did win 106 games. Is that because there's just this like consensus opinion that we just hate the Astros because of all the things that they did a couple of years ago? I think partially. I think it's also because, you know, this is a team that all the same guys are still there, right? Who was I just talking about? Jose Altuve, Alex Bregman. These are guys we've seen hit in the middle of the Astros lineup for three, four, five years. I mean, they're old. They're not big stories. It's just a team that's been doing what they do for several years, and we know all the big names. We know all the big stars. We know what their deal is. We haven't seen them fail yet, really, with that core because they've just always been consistently good, so there hasn't been that narrative to grab onto either. We've just seen them be consistently good, and sometimes that that fades out of mind. And I mean, they don't play in a memorable ballpark. They uh, it, there's just a lot of things going on with that team. Nuan is now ESPN Radio, SWX Montana Television, and the ESPN MT app. Uh, here's what we're gonna do. We're gonna come back to this. We're gonna do a little NFL blindside and some more Major League Baseball talk. And we'll do that next here on your Tuesday. Keep it right here. Nuan is now ESPN Radio. For unquestionably committed coverage of Montana, Montana State, and Big Sky Conference athletics from a homegrown local source, you can count on Skyline Sports. The grassroots news-gathering organization is owned and operated by Coulter and Brooks Nuanas, a pair of Missoula natives and University of Montana graduates. For the best sports journalism in the state, you can choose to buy local when you choose to buy Skyline Sports. For $8 a month or $90 a year, you can get the best coverage available at SkylineSportsMT.com. Skyline Sports, every day, every season. The latest text from a resident Mariners uh, faithful (laughs) is that left on left doesn't matter when you're a home run vending machine. (laughs) I don't know why I think it's so funny when my friends' great teams lose in heartbreaking fashion. I'm so mean. I, I don't mean to make fun of your emotional sadness and disappointment, but it's just so funny. And I, uh, I, I just do. I'm laughing to try to cheer you up if you're a Mariners fan. Welcome back to Honest Now, ESPN Radio, SWX Montana Television, and the ESPN MT app. The Seattle Mariners took a 7-5 to lead into the bottom of the ninth inning in Houston against the Astros. They got it to two outs with two men on, and they brought in Robbie Ray, who's one of their headlining starting pitchers, a left-hander, to throw to Jordan Alvarez, who's been one of the best power-hitting lefties in baseball this year. And Robbie Ray, who who uh, had a 3.71 ERA this year, 212 Ks, one of the top strikeout guys in the majors. His Achilles heel this year has been giving up home runs. He gave up 32 home runs and 32 starts. Well, he gave up a 450-foot. I actually don't know how far it went, but the, uh, the replay is that Alvarez put that thing way out of town uh, there at Minute Maid Park and the Houston Astros an 8-7 to win over the Mariners. I haven't been following the, the minute details of this as well as maybe I should have, Andrew, but 
Twitter seems to be at a consensus that uh, the Mariners went with Robbie Ray because the bullpen hasn't been great. But also, do you really want to go with one of your headlining starters who also is, as our great friend Blake says, a home run vending machine just to get a lefty on a lefty? I, I don't know. Sometimes this is where I err on baseball. I feel like sometimes they over-strategize and prioritize things. I, I just don't get why other than some sort of analytic suggestion that you would go with one of your top starters in the ninth inning when you're up two runs and you're a fastball pitcher throwing to a fastball hitter. It just seems like there's some overthinking going on here for the Mariners. Well, it's a tough move to analyze, Coulter. I mean, of course, if it had gone the other way, everybody was saying what a what a great move by Scott Service pulling out all your cards True. as the underdog. Remember... They're the underdog. They're the huge underdog in this series. I mean, huge. The Mariners didn't make the playoffs until like a week ago, whereas the Astros have been in the mix. I mean, they've been fast-tracking since July. That's right. And if they could have pulled out, they had all the chances to pull out a game one win on the road, which sort of steals home field advantage back. I think you do. I think you do everything in your power to win that game. I'm not so mad at him for... You know, going to a starting pitcher out of the bullpen if you think that's the best guy, right? I just, man, Jordan Alvarez just crushes everybody. It's not like getting left right. on left there is like, it's not like you're pitching to David Ortiz back in the day, right? When sure. you could get him left on left. I mean, Jordan Alvarez mashes lefties. Right, and he's also like a fastball hitter, right? And that's what Robbie Ray does is he throws, brings the gas. That's what he, well, he, that's the other thing. Robbie Ray's not a guy where it's like if you got a starter with great stuff out of the bullpen, if you got a starter who throws 100 with a nasty slider, sure, bring him in out of the bullpen and say, you know, let's throw five pitches of your best stuff and let's go home. Robbie Ray's got good stuff, but he's not overpowering. I mean, he's a guy who light, who works deep in games, and that's where his value comes from as a starter. For one at bat, man, I just don't know. And he did throw him a fastball. I think he was trying to get it down and in. And he didn't really get it either down or in. Alvarez just drops the bat head on, and I think it was uh, measured at 438. And I was just looking wow. up these these splits, man. Jordan Alvarez, 192 plate appearances against lefties this year, hit 321. Wow. He hit, hit for a higher average than he did against righties. Now, he had a little bit more power against righties. Sure. But this is a guy who mashes both ways. So, I mean, going to all those contortions and making that decision to go left on left to this guy, I think that's where you start to see some flaws in the logic. And now you got to sit here and listen to it if you're Scott Service. And now you, 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 you are seriously two minutes away from having momentum in this series and – then you didn't. Now you give it all away, and then you got to answer questions about it until the next game. And I, man, these are the things in baseball, in a baseball series, where one thing leads to another thing, leads to another thing. Now maybe the Mariners can stop the bleeding, get it back on track in a fine fashion. I don't know, but it just seems like this is a bad way to start a series when you are, like you said, the decided underdog. Well, that's right. And the thing about these five-game division series is you have to get back to it right away. Because if you don't get back to it tomorrow, you're down two nothing, and suddenly it's basically over. You're you're really against. It. I mean, it's, it's baseball, so you can win three in a row, but you go down two to nothing, it's basically over. Like you said, the Major League Baseball playoffs are in full force. You're listening to ESPN Radio. We will have baseball playoffs on the radio as often uh, as we possibly can. Two games today. 
uh, in the books for the divisional series. The Philadelphia Phillies hold off a late charge from the defending World Series champion Atlanta Braves and post a 7-6 to win in a battle of uh, National League East rivals. The Phillies now up one nothing after that win over the Braves. They were up 6-1 and then held on for that 7-6 win. The Mariners lose to the Houston Astros 8-7. to The other two games that begin today, the Cleveland Guardians uh, at the New York Yankees, that one starts here like right now. I think first pitch is here in a minute or two. And then you got the San Diego Padres versus the uh, Los Angeles Dodgers. Uh, what series, Andrew, do you think is the most intriguing one of, of these divisional series? I think it's got to be, well, you've got two series that are between division rivals, so I yeah. think we're picking between those with the Phillies and the Braves, but yeah. I think the best one out of all of them is going to be the one that we're going to have actually coming on ESPN Radio right after this show. Nice. Game one of the Padres-Dodgers series. What a great set of narratives in that series. I mean, the Dodgers, it's kind of like the Houston Astros that we talked about. They just have that consistent, sustained excellence. But people pay attention to the Dodgers because they're even another level above the Astros. People thought they had a shot at the all-time wins record this season. They finished, I think, with 111 wins. That's right. I which think it had, was like the fourth most all-time. Fourth most all-time. Nobody has ever won exactly 100 games in a season, so they filled in that spot there. And then you have the team that's been trying to challenge them for the last several years. I mean, the Padres, you think they went all in this summer with the Juan Soto trade. They've been going all in for a couple of years trying to challenge the Dodgers, and to a lesser extent, I think Jeff Safford's Giants as well in that division. So that's been a great story to follow in the regular season. And now we get to see them match up here with the season on the line. And whichever way it goes, we're going to get a great story out of those ser- out of that series because it'll either be the Dodgers putting their stamp on the NL West. I mean, the, this the best. This the team that they've been killing all season. You get one last shot at them in the playoffs, and they just stomp on you, and they cement themselves as one of the best teams in baseball, probably the best team in baseball. Or the underdog, the upstart, comes up and kills Goliath, right? You you get that either way, and there's just so many great players in this series, right? Freddie Freeman, Trey Turner for the Dodgers. I mean, so many guys for the Dodgers. Every guy on the Dodgers. Come on, their whole freaking lineup is an all-star. That's right, but the Padres are one of the few teams that have multiple guys who can match that star power, even with Fernando Tatis Jr. out for the rest of the season with his PED suspension. I mean, Juan Soto, Manny Machado has had an incredible year. They've got some guys who can match up with the Dodgers' uh, star power and and top-level talent. You took the words right out of my mouth. I think that's why it is such an intriguing series, because if you just, just look at the win totals, I mean, the Dodgers were a full 22 games clear uh, of the of the Padres this year. But, like you said, some of the biggest names in baseball, whether it's Machado or Soto or, or anybody else that the Padres have on their roster, uh, it's an interesting one. Jeff, uh, Jeff Safford, voice of the Missoula Paddleheads, and also uh, sitting in the producer's chair today. Thanks for being back there, pushing the buttons, man. Uh, you're an NL West guy. You're a San Francisco Giants fan. What's your take on this series? Do the, do the Padres have a fighting chance against uh, the mighty Los Angeles Dodgers? Well, the numbers probably would tell you not much of a chance when looking at just overall records of how two teams played against each other. I mean, 
the Dodgers just hammered the Padres this year. I think it was 15-4 and four was their overall mark against them. And looking back to last year also, and the Padres really started this, I guess you could call a bankroll of them trying to build up the roster. They really dominated that year too. But we've seen a, the last two years a lot of skirmishes, a lot of beefs, a lot of guys throwing at dudes, stuff like that. So when you got a matchup like this, all the cards are on the table. You know the storylines. These two teams do not like each other. You throw all that out the window, and it just becomes postseason baseball and who can perform the best when the lights are the brightest. And, I mean, you look back to 2019 with the Nats, Juan Soto was outstanding in that postseason run for the Nationals. And to me, if the Padres are going to have a chance, he's got to be the catalyst. What do you think of the matchup of the pitching staffs? Because that's the other place where, you know, we're talking about all these big-time bats that both these teams got, but the Padres have an unbelievably deep starting rotation, and that matters in the postseason big time. And the Dodgers do too, though. So, I mean, what do we think of sort of the starters uh, and just the pitching staffs in general between these two teams? Yeah, and you saw that in that Mets series where the Padres just went into New York and just ruined weekend for those Mets fans. And we're not going to walk on the graves of the Mets too much. Edwin Diaz with the trumpets down for nothing. I mean, we had to mention it. What the heck are we doing there? But looking at that matchup, <laughs> we've... Trumpets. I mean, they had the darn trumpets on the field when they're down four to nothing. I mean... Come on now. And they're putting the camera on the Padres fans in attendance, and they're clapping along, loving it. I'm sure Sean Rainey was dancing in his house, you know, watching that. But anyway, looking at these two matchups, yes, the both starting rotations, fabulous. I mean, the Dodgers, they led the league in Team ERA and just about everything. But... The one thing that's been the problem all year, and really you could say for both teams, it's been kind of, it's going to be a bit iffy, is the back end of the bullpen. The Dodgers don't really have a go-to guy. Right. Craig Kimbrell, who's their closer, quote-unquote, he's not been great for coming sure. down the stretch. And Josh Hader, the guy they traded a boatload of stuff for to get him from Milwaukee, he had that stretch in the month of August where he was just not good either. Yes, has been pitching better down the stretch, but that's going to be an interesting thing also is who can get outs down the stretch when tensions are high. And you know that Dodger offense, especially when the lights are bright and those big moments, they just seem to time and time again get those good at-bats from those guys that have just been there so many times before. It seems like... For me, myself personally, being a Giants fan, the guy you do not you do not want to see is Justin Turner because it seems like he's always the guy that beats you, even if he's not the best offensive weapon you can think of. Just when those clutch situations come up, he's the guy you want up there. He for sure has the clutch, G, no doubt about it. Nuwana's now ESPN Radio, Jeff Safford. Rolling on the board, also chiming in on our Major League Baseball playoff conversation. We're going to be into the uh, Major League Baseball playoffs a little bit. I can tell you that because these guys both very sharp when it comes to the baseball analysis, both Jeff and Andrew Houghton. And uh, it's that time of year. It's fun time of year. I love October. I, I know that I uh, sort of get a little 
cynical and downtrodden about baseball, and I'm never trying to bring you with me. I know there's a ton of people that listen to this show and this radio station that love baseball. I only complain about the state of baseball because I'm envious of you. I want to be back into loving it like I did for so many years, and I've talked about all the reasons why uh, I've gravitated away from it. But guess what? I'm with you in the love of this time of year. Love me some Major League Baseball uh, playoffs. Uh, Last question on this, uh, Jeff. Of these divisional series, and now we're we're kind of down to the, the last eight, which is super fun, there's sort of these these four quote-unquote mismatches, and then that's kind of how it works now with this new wild card format. But, I mean, the Astros won 16 more games than the Mariners this year. The Atlanta Braves won uh, a full 14 more games than the Phillies. The Dodgers won 22 more games than the Padres. And the Yankees actually, quote-unquote, only won seven more games than the Guardians. But there, there are three or four pretty decided uh, mismatches just in terms of win total. Which one of these underdogs has the best chance of pulling an upset? Well, I think kind of partially by default, looking at the results from today, you'd have to look at the Phillies as a team that can do it just because of what they're able to do today, A, and B, how they did it. They really jumped out right out of bed offensively early on, got out to an early lead. And now if you're Philadelphia also, you have your two best starting pitchers lined up. One guy I've been following for quite a while, Zach Wheeler, who's scheduled to go tomorrow. I was talking about this with Andrew earlier this afternoon, actually. Zach Wheeler was actually a a Giants prospect back in the day, and they traded for Carlos Beltran, one of those trade deadline deals, a short-term, trying to get a postseason push. And Zach Wheeler ended up being the young prospect that went to the Mets at the time. And ever since, I've just been following the trajectory of his career, where he went, and here he is now on a big stage tomorrow, a chance all of a sudden to give Phillies a 2-0 lead. And you just look at what they can do offensively. Not so much today. It really was a nice kind of one through nine setup. Castellanos was the big story. He had three hits, I think five RBIs, a diving catch in the ninth inning also. Just great day for him. But the thing that the Phillies offense does best is hit home runs with Kyle Schwarber, who led the NL in home runs, NL MVP. Bryce Harper also in that lineup. So if they can get some home run power going, get some solid pitching, they got a real shot. We got to talk about this Phillies lineup, actually. Kyle okay. Schwarber, who you mentioned, led the NL in home runs, hitting leadoff for them today. Well, okay, so tell me this. I, I feel like a dummy. What is the new trend of batting your home run hitter in the leadoff? I mean, Aaron Judge, who's what? 7'10 and 400 pounds? I mean, the guy's 6'7, 280. He's hitting leadoff now? Where, is this an analytics thing, or what, what are we doing? We just got to want to get him more at bats, or or what? Well, that's the thing. You want to get him more at bats, and the thing with Judge is that for a while, especially in the second half, not only was he the Yankees' best hitter, he was the Yankees' only hitter of any repute because Anthony Rizzo really slumps. John Carlos Stanton was out for a while with injury. They didn't have anybody around him, so I think there, and especially as he was chasing the home run record as well, you just wanted to get him more at bats, and that's typically what you do. I mean, the the old trend of putting your your fast, speedy guy there, 
Nobody does that anymore, or, or not very many people do that anymore. You want to get your best hitter there because they get the most at-bats and just go on down the line. Now, having said that, I did do a little double-take when I saw this Philadelphia Phillies lineup today. They were rocking Kyle Schwarber, Reese Hoskins hitting two, and then I think JT Realmuto, Harper, and yeah. Castellanos. But that's another reason why they've got a great chance to have an upset not only is that a great lineup, that's a dangerous lineup. You don't want to pitch to those guys. Yeah, no, for sure. It'll be very fascinating to see, too, because the Braves have been rolling right along. I thought they've been as, as consistent as a defending champion as we've seen in quite some time. They really didn't have any of the the noise or the hangover or any of that stuff. And, uh, I mean, they have, have had some injuries, but... They, they've been very, very good, very, very solid, and uh, that's going to be a hell of a series, I think. I think that there's a lot of a lot of animosity there. Uh, Bryce Harper always is going to bring that <laughs> to, to any series, but the, the Phillies have kind of taken on his attitude, and uh, I, I think that's a fun one, but just because it is a five-game set, a one-game one advantage is, is huge, and so it's hard to say that it's not the Phillies that have the best upset bid, and it's also hard to say that it's certainly not the Mariners after they suffer their heartbreaking loss here uh, the opening day. But it's, it's going to be fun to watch these four series. Yeah, definitely. I mean, this is the time of year where I want baseball on the TV every night. You know, I coming home in the summer, whatever. Hard to throw a baseball game on there. But now, yeah, every night I'm going to be watching baseball. Yeah, should be fun. We'll have baseball for you uh, on the radio as much as we possibly can. What's going down tomorrow? We'll get you set up for your Wednesday next. Keep it right here. Nuanas Now, ESPN Radio. Grizz Nation's favorite outfitter is the M Store, where they're all Grizz all the time. And now the M Store has a brand new location in downtown Missoula. Come check out the new storefront located on the corner of Higgins and Broadway. The M Store in Missoula has been your Grizz gear headquarters for more than 10 years, offering some of the most original University of Montana gear you'll find anywhere in the Garden City. Next time you're downtown, swing in. Come by the M Store today and wear what the Grizz wear. Or shop online at MontanaMStore.com. is now on 102.9 ESPN Radio Missoula. Hope you're enjoying yourself. What's up, everybody? Happy Tuesday. Nuan is now ESPN Radio, SWX Montana Television, and the ESPN MT app. Miss anything in the show today? Ten fun facts about Montana high school football. Grady Bennett, the head coach of the Kalispell Glacier Wolfpack football team, our Treasure State Stars, some NFL talk, some Major League Baseball talk, and a whole bunch of fun. You can find all of it on the Nuanas Now podcast, proudly presented by the M Store, the Advocates, and the Montana State Bookstore. A rivalry renewed on Saturday here in Missoula. The 87th, I guess it'll be the 88th. There's been 87 meetings total already between Idaho and Montana. The battle for the Little Brown Stein. So that's what we'll get you. Uh, Closed out with here on your Tuesday. Some fun facts about the Little Brown Stein. By the way, uh, tomorrow we'll have a fun show for you. Again, we got uh, some Grizz hockey tickets for you. We got some wings from the Desperado. We got Sam Herter from Hero Sports joining us. We also are going to hear from Cleveland Thomas, a senior wide receiver for the Bobcats, Alex Gubner, a defensive tackle for the Grizzlies, 
And our ESPN Roundtable will feature John Freeze, one of the greatest quarterbacks in the history of the Big Sky Conference, an Idaho alum, and a guy who has plenty of memories about the uh, battle for the Little Brown Stein. So this rivalry between the Grizz and Idaho dates back to 1903. So they've been playing this thing for 119 years, 88 total matchups once it uh, takes place on Saturday. The uh, Vandals lead the all-time series 55-30. to Their longest winning streak, Idaho's longest winning streak, 1951-1959, to they won eight in a row. But Montana is on a seven-game winning streak within the scope of this rivalry. And that dates back to 2000. The Grizz have won seven in a row. This rivalry was not played from 2004 until 2017. Part of that was because Idaho was played up at the FBS level, and uh, they got beat by Montana several times as an FBS member. In fact, since Idaho moved up uh, to the FBS in 1995, then the Battle for the Little Brownstein took place uh, in 99, 2000, 2001, 2002, 2003, and Montana won uh, three out of five of those matchups. So the Grizz were rolling at that moment in time. The Vandals were not, but now they're back in the Big Sky Conference together. So we'll have plenty of talk about this game upcoming throughout the rest of the week. Jason Eck, the head coach of Idaho, will join us on Thursday as well to lead the show. So we'll look forward to that too. Uh, Thanks for being with us here uh, on your Tuesday. We'll be back at it tomorrow at 4 p.m. Thanks to the contributions of Andrew and Jeff. This has been Nuanas Now, 1029 ESPN Radio. I am here with Catherine DeLands of The Advocates. If you've been listening to ESPN Radio, you're familiar and you know if you've been in an accident, the advocates can surely help you. What sort of expertise do you guys have when it comes to uh, any sort of personal injury accidents, things like that? Uh, It's all we practice. Uh, You're not going to get an attorney who's practicing family law or in court defending criminal cases. All we do is personal injury. We're a multi-state firm, but I'm right here in Missoula. So we have the backing of a large firm uh, with just years of expertise there, too. Free consultations. You can find out more by calling 406-640-4444 or by visiting online 24-7 MontanaAdvocates.com.